everybody. Uh, this is Patrick Pollock with the Everyday Teachers Podcast. Uh, this is now episode two. Yes, episode two. We've made it that far, which is awesome, and gotten some pretty good feedback uh, from some friends. So at least a couple people have listened, which is great. Um, I'm pretty excited to have another good friend of mine, another teaching colleague uh, on uh, for episode two. And today we're going to talk about the role a coach plays on campus. Um, being a coach myself and understanding uh, the contact points you have with those student athletes is really, really important. So um, our guest uh, teaches at Lubin Hills High School, another uh, home of the Hawks. And uh, him and I actually went to high school together many moons ago. So I'd like to uh, welcome aboard to the Everyday Teacher Podcast, Mr. Kirk Brown. Kirk, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Coach. Yeah, no, I, uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, Kirk and I go way back. I'm actually a year older than he is, um, which I'm sure he doesn't have any problem reminding me of that. <laughs> and uh, we actually kind of grew up right around the corner from each other. So it's kind of cool yeah. that uh, we've been able to go to school together, play sports together, and then teach together and, and still, uh, still remain colleagues, which is kind of crazy. I figured I would have done something wrong by this point, but all <laughs> things are pointing to good. So it's, it's good. So um, Kurt, so uh, why don't you just kind of give us a quick rundown of uh, what you teach, how you got into teaching, and kind of the role you play at your school. Sure, sure. Um, so just finished up my 17th year of teaching. Um, I teach uh, social studies, history, uh, everything. I've taught everything from what we used to call workshop classes um, to most of my classes are the standard college prep course. With um, I've also taught uh, IB History of the Americas uh, and, and a part of the MUN program. Um, you know, I took an odd path to teaching, I suppose, um, and in that I had started off um, in a successful career, and, and it's always kind of odd. I think we we call it a successful career because I was making money as opposed to, to being <laughs> in teaching. Um, exactly. You know, 17 years and I still haven't caught up to the salary I was making in sales. Uh, yes, yes, good. very true. <laughs> um, but I was, I was in sales. I was working in our family's uh, pharmaceutical business, living up in Seattle. And, and I had gotten to the place where, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, everybody kind of dreaded Mondays, right? I mean, it, it's, it's an office space meme, if nothing else. Right. And, um, but Mondays weren't the only terrible day. It was, it was like, I got to the point where I didn't like Sundays either because I was dreading that Monday was coming. And even then Saturday right. wasn't so great because you were thinking about how Sunday was coming and then it was going to be Monday soon. And so right. pretty and soon. You did, and you did AY, right? Oh yeah. And pretty soon it was Friday <laughs> was the only, the only good day because then your weekend was starting. And I thought this, right. this is, this is not good. Um, and you know, one of my teachers back in high school had mentioned, uh, you know, an English teacher, Mr. Gunderson, had mentioned that teaching might be something I should look at. And I completely dismissed it because I had no interest in being a teacher like Gunderson. And, and now I, I kind of laugh about that. Um, <laughs> he, is, he is fantastic. But um, I started thinking about it. And I think coaching is actually what led me to it. I had, before I moved to Seattle, I had spent a year coaching with coach Ingalls who was one of my high school coaches who had was in his first year coaching and what I realized is I thought I was going to love the football part of it and the competing and doing all those things that I was really missing and what I ended up really finding was is that I liked the teaching aspect 
the working with kids, the development of kids. Um, and the more I thought about it, I tried to get some, some work coaching up in Seattle and either wanted me to already know what I was doing um, or, and, and needed you to come in or they didn't have the time to teach you. So I called up coach Ingalls and asked if I could come down and coach for him. Um, and in order to do that, I really needed to figure out a career that worked um, with that and decided teaching was the avenue I wanted to go in. But it, it really started with the, you know, the coaching aspect of it um, and really loving teaching kids um, from that perspective. And, and um, I, I haven't regretted as many as dark days as there have been in the teaching <laughs> profession over right, the last for sure. 17 years. I, I have not regretted the decision because, you know, it's, it's such a great feeling to wake up on a Monday and not care that it is Monday. Right. You know, and and that's, that's I love point. going to school and, and I right. love going to my job. Um, and that's, that's, that's awesome. it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. So, yeah, no. And I think that's the one thing witnessing firsthand. Uh, I had the uh, pleasure of riding sidecar uh, over summer school to finish my teaching <laughs> student teaching with uh, Kirk and the, uh, so for three weeks, I got to, uh, it was actually a really cool experience. Uh, I would, it, just from the standpoint of being able to manage kids that typically were not good students to begin with, let alone wanted to be there, but to build, quickly build those relationships to, to get them to, you know, uh, fill in the box, if you will. So, uh, but one thing I can tell you certainly about Kirk is that his his personality comes out in his teaching and kids really are drawn to that and uh, i've had many of opportunity to kind of stumble into his classroom and watch him work and there's there's interaction going on there's there's this feeling of you know hey i need to listen to this guy because he's probably going to tell me something i should probably know and and be able to tell somebody else about it so i think that that's one thing that i can certainly say about you as a teacher, what you see firsthand, you have constant engagement with your students. And, and I think, and, and we'll talk more about this here in a minute, about that whole coaching aspect. Um, but before we dive into that, I wanna get your take on the pandemic. I mean, obviously it uh, kinda hit, hit the ground like a category five storm and there's still a lot of unknown. And, um, but what I want you to kinda quickly tell us is just what was your initial take when we had a school shutdown, and then how did you handle creating this distant learning environment? And then the third part of that is your thoughts on the fall. I know there's been some things out there posted. Everybody has their, you know, magic eight ball idea of what fall is going to look like. But at the end of the day, we just don't know. So if you can kind of give us some insight on, on, on those things, that would be awesome. Sure. Um, I think like a lot of people, um, you know, I was, I was caught a little flat footed. My, my teaching style is, is a lot more of what all the new teachers are being told not to do. Um, I, most people label what I do as a lot more of direct instruction. I, I, I had a mentor teacher that I, I think we may both have known. I knew him from junior high and he's been one of the coaches of our girls basketball team forever. Mr. Mr. Lynn Taylor. And when I student taught for him, I was just amazed at the engagement he had with kids because he was a master storyteller. Right. Um, and and he's, he's just fantastic. And he knew so many different stories and so many anecdotes that, 
that weren't the typical stuff that you found in the textbooks. And, and that stuff roped the kids in sure. to learn about this other stuff that he wanted them to know at the same time. And I think the kids didn't realize they were learning as they were learning half the time. They just enjoyed right. listening. To them. And right. so much of that fit my personality. Distance learning scared me because storytelling is a heck of a lot harder to do via <laughs> an asynchronous learning environment. Um, right. I, I had to figure out, you know, I, I, I don't have a ton of flipped classroom stuff. Um, and we were getting into the semester where this is all the stuff I love to teach. Right. Um, there aren't a lot of lessons I want them to go do on their own because I want right. to share. I want to share the story. I want to do the sure. project. I want to do the, 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 you know, right. the, the activity in class. Um, so I, try, I think the hardest part was being in limbo. Um, right. As everybody scrambled and nobody really knew what was going on for how long it was going on, what the direction we were going to have, what grading was going to look like, what we could or sure. couldn't do. So sure. when you're sitting there with the material that you have and you're trying to figure out what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Um, right. Asynchronous learning was the, the magic word from, from our district. So right. <laughs> it was made very clear that we could not mandate that kids be there at a certain time. And sure. that made it really challenging. Now, I, there were some benefits. I, I do a survey to my students every year at the end of the year, and I, I did it again this year, um, but was able to add some things about the distance learning. And one of the things I found is that some of the kids did like the more collegiate aspect of it, although I don't know that they would recognize it as such. Sure. That they could work on their own time frame. Sometimes right. that was out of necessity. I had kids that were working delivery jobs that they picked up to help, you know, with the family at home. Other times it was kids just doing that because they were playing Call of Duty till three in the morning and so working <laughs> at a different hour worked for them. Right, exactly. You know, I mean but there was but some of them enjoyed that flexibility. Sure. Four of them recognized their limitations that right. assigning stuff at the beginning of the week and having it due sometime during the end of the week, most of the work got turned in on Friday when the, when the assignment sure. was due right up to the last minute. Sure. You know, and I'm, and this is mostly dealing with sophomores and it, it does make a difference. I think what the grade level was, but it was a daunting task to try to switch over my story driven class to one that would work via an online platform where I don't use Google Classroom much during the school year, so I had to quickly transition to that. Um, I'm familiar enough with it because I use it a bit with the MUN kids. Right. But that was, that was different for me, and it was different for them. And I, you know, I figured out Screencastify wasn't, you know, I mean, it wasn't rocket surgery here. You just, you kind of figured it out. Um, and things got better once I could at least record myself and do the stories and walk the kids right. through but it didn't allow for the interaction with the kids. Right. The questions that, you know, that came up at that moment. Right. So Absolutely. I, you know, it certainly didn't fit what I love about teaching. Like if this was something I had to continue doing down the road, I, I don't know that I could keep doing this. Um, hmm. Ultimately it went fairly well. I, the, the feedback I got from the kids was they liked the way the class was structured, that it was kind of the, best that we could do given the, the constraints sure. um, that they liked the flexibility but that they missed being 
in the class. Right. Um, so well, that's, that's, that's awesome. Like right there, like that, that's, I'm glad you said that is, is I think, I mean, obviously, you know, I teach in the virtual space and, you know, I think we, we come from the same cloth. We love our stories and being, having the ability to be animated and to be in kids' faces and, you know, kind of hoot and holler because it just, it ropes them in. I mean, we, we've definitely had our, um, you know, fair share in that. And I think it's what I have found and it took time. I mean, I, I got better as I went is that, you know, like we're doing here is I might not be able to see you, but I just have to imagine that you're there. So I'm basically, you know, having this conversation really with myself, you know, yeah. and, and, and then as you get more comfortable doing that, the kids became more engaged and, you know, we see things in a chat box and yeah, it, it, I was, I, I appreciate the fact that you, that you've recognized, you know, what your class, what you want your classroom to look like. And I think far too many teachers, especially new teachers have no clue what that is. And uh, like I said, to be earlier, you know, you definitely cultivate uh, a place that students want to be in. And I, I think that, uh, and even in this, you know, flipped environment, you know, unintentionally, that the fact that they're still saying that, I think is just a testament of, a, your experience as a teacher, but B, you know, you, you made it po you made it possible so the kids could still feel that level of engagement, which, which doesn't shock me, but I think for a lot of people, they don't, they wouldn't see it that way. You know what I'm saying? Well, and, and that was certainly a challenge. You know, uh, Jocelyn, my wife, uh, who also is a biology teacher, um, works at a professional theater in Anaheim Hills. And, and one of the things we've talked about is the importance of having an audience doing right. a show. And, and my classroom is actually, we, I joke, my classroom is set up in a thrust stage. I, I have right. the arc around me. I, I'm right. actually performing and it's, right. it's tiring from being on stage like that. And so <laughs> doing a performance as I recorded, you know, the, my, my presentations and my stories, doing a performance, without actually having the feedback from the kids. Sure. And I needed a laugh track. I needed, I, I, needed, <laughs> I needed my kids or something in front of me. Right, to, exactly. To have somebody to feed some energy off of. Sure. And I think I had felt that my third period class this year was, was the quietest class I've ever had. Like getting them to engage and speak. And I could tell they were there through the assessments, but Right. They just were non-talkers. And my period four class, on the other hand, you know, we, we were always behind because they were constantly right. asking questions and quiet. Right. This distance learning was a lot like teaching my third period class where I just felt myself so drained <laughs> having to supply all the energy right. to project out. And, you know, you asked, you asked about what the fall looks like. And I, I think we're all in a bit of an unknown, uh, in part because different districts the districts, right or wrong, have been given the leeway to kind of shape what they want based upon what what their their area, their community that they serve wants. Right. Um, sure. I know the Capo District, uh, which one of my sons attends school in, um, has surveyed and put together some preliminary ideas right. and recommendations. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, I've seen that. And, and, and I think there's, you know, we're kind of caught in a bit of a dilemma here. As a teacher... I need to know as soon as possible sure. what 
fall going to look like. And we want to give parents the, the knowledge, hey, this is what it's going to look like so that as a parent, you can make decisions about what's best for your kid right. um, as, we, as we get towards the fall. And I, I mean, I just, I got to be able to prepare. But by the same token, if, if I've learned anything that two weeks ago, things looked different than they did four weeks ago. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there was a time where I was pretty sure the state of California wasn't going to open until July. And then sure. a week later, you know, all of a sudden things are very different in California. And, and right. so it's, it's hard to predict the future about what things will look like come August. Right. But if we can't wait till August to notify people and let them know. So right. um, I faced the double challenge there of, of we have a new textbook that we are getting. Um, so I have to restructure my curriculum to align with the textbook. I mean, on the plus side, the kids are going to have an online textbook, um, but we're all going to have to muddle through it. Right. Um, and I think the challenge is going to be, you know, when we, when we left school, I knew the kids, they knew my class, they knew the expectations, they knew how I functioned and they knew kind of what we, what things meant. Right. We're going to go into this fall with brand new kids. They aren't going to know me. They aren't going to know expectations for the class. They aren't going to know what activities are. Things that we normally would do in class to kind of walk kids through how to sign up for Google Classroom, how to do turnitin.com, you know, just some of the really basic things of the rules and regulations that we have, we're going to have to do without any sort of report pre-established. And that'll be... That'll be another change. And then, of course, uh, the flip of a switch, all of it could change, and we're doing something completely different two weeks into the school year. Who knows? So, Right. Yeah. It was funny. I was talking, uh, you know, with uh, Coach Lester last week and and when he was on, and, you know, same thing. You know, he's he's kind of – he said the similar things. He's like, I almost have to prepare an online version of my classroom. And in the event that I do have in face options, at least I have everything canned ready to go. And I think that seems to be the consensus. I mean, obviously our, uh, myself and, and Kirk's uh, kids uh, go to school together. They're seventh graders together going to be eighth grade. And uh, you know, I'm talking with the teachers over La Paz, you know, they're in the same boat. It's like, you know, I was actually pretty impressed with how they were able to kind of, kind of keep things going um, and, and have a sense of rigor being that it was honors classes and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what really evolves over the next two to three weeks and, you know, knowing uh, full well that uh, this, that, you know, our school district is, is sometimes very slow to respond that they're going to kind of keep their head on a swivel and see what's going on around them before they piece something together. And I can't fault them for that. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, that's wrong. Um, You know, but as parents, as teachers, you know, we, we need an opportunity to, to plan. And I think that, uh, that certainly is, uh, is going to be interesting that with each passing week, when July one rolls around and when the school year technically is over, um, like a business, the square ends on June 30th and, and then the new season, new year starts on July one and to see when they close their business to see what July is going to look like. And, you know, it, it's something that I think we'll just have to wait and see. And, you know, I've had a lot of people 
react very negatively to some of the things that are being proposed. And I think just the reality is, is we have to come to the grips that what we knew as school, uh, we're not there yet. And, you know, whatever version of its former self evolves in the fall, then, you know, we just got to jump in with both feet. We can't, you know, and I'd like to think, you know, this is where we love those parent teacher conferences, right? (laughs) And, uh, we, uh, when we try to tell them, you know, what's really in the best interest in their kid, when oftentimes, you know, parents are what's in the best interest of themselves. And, that, and, and look, I'm a parent, you're a parent, that's not banging on parents, we have to somewhat be selfish. But at the same time, you know, the, the things that are out of our control are out of our control. And I just, I just hope whatever fall looks like they, uh, people kind of just get on board with it. You know, I mean, there's always gonna be pushback, but I just hope they just get on board with it. Well, there's, it'll be interesting to see the choices that are made, not only that the, right. the district make, but that as parents make, um, sure. you know, whether they, they opt for other alternatives for their kids based upon what they think is best. And, and ultimately, parents do have to look out for what is best for their kid. But I, I think the flip side of that, and it's really important, is what is best for the teachers. Our, Absolutely. Our teaching staff at Laguna Hills um, skews a little bit older, although the, the really scary thing was, is we had, you know, we had one of those icebreaker activities at the beginning of last year where, um, you know, the, the, they asked us to line up based upon when you started teaching. And so we, we formed a, a long line around the room and Coach Lester was pretty close to the very front of the room and I wasn't very far behind him. And that kind of scared me. I, <laughs> trail end I'm, I'm not that old and and yet we have I think we have nine teachers on our campus who are over 60 we have one teacher who's over 70 and so you're talking about people in very high risk categories right and how do we how do we as as a as a school and a district address the legitimate right. concerns and 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 even people that aren't in that category some of us some of us are at risk just based upon uh, other characteristics. Uh, some of us don't get up every morning at 4:30 and go run and work out. Um, and that's so, crazy. who would do that? That's I know. That's nuts. I know. There's nothing like getting a text from you at 4:30 in the morning. But my it's bad. Just a, <laughs> my bad. Oh no, no I'm, I'm usually up too, uh, just not running. Um, so it's there's going to be some interesting challenges across the board as as those right. teachers who. You know, we have a friend at school who is a multiple cancer survivor. She's over 70. Um, she should not be back in a building inside with kids um, right. in that sort of an environment. And distance learning online teaching is not her cup of tea. Right. That there's, a, there's a technological aspect of it that just doesn't fit her as a teacher. Sure. Uh, and her comfort level as she's, you know, teaching for the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see how right. schools and districts come up with plans to address a lot of these issues. So, right. Yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, exactly. All right. So let's, let's get into this. Cause I think this is something I know you and I can talk at, you know, to our blue in the face about is the value of being a coach on campus. Now, um, when we were in high school, all of our, all of our coaches were pretty much on campus. I mean, you had some lower level coaches that were walk-ons, but still they had been with the program for a number of years. 
um, I know, uh, and I know you've seen this as well, is that some schools, some districts are actually now preferring to have walk-on coaches. And um, a walk-on coach is somebody that is not – is it, all they do is coach that sport for that season. They don't have any uh, – job per se on a day-to-day basis with the the school so with, with that being said being a coach on campus and have been have been a coach on campus for quite a while what, what do you think the the true value of a coach on campus because obviously there's a lot of people that think coaches should be on campus because they're taking academic spots so if you can kind of just share your thoughts on, on those two things. And then we can kind of, you know, wherever the river takes us at that point. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple aspects to this. One is that you, you mentioned the concern that many administrators have is that if I hire a coach and I have to find a spot for them, um, our, you know, one concern in our district is that, that that takes up one of the academic sections. So our district gives us a release period. Um, so I teach, four classes and my fifth class is my, my athletics class, but that class counts as part of the master schedule. Um, and that can impact course sizes. And so in this current age, there's a lot of principals and administrators who like walk-on coaches because then it doesn't eat up into the master schedule. And at, at a, at a relatively smaller school, and I say it relative because only in orange County is a school of 1450 considered a small school. Um, much of the rest of the country looks at that as a normal to big sized school, right? Right. Um, it's hard to eat up those sections. Uh, our friends over at Tribuco with 3,000 students, the, the coaching sections really aren't as big of an issue because you don't have the singletons, you don't have many of the other issues. So, um, right. you know, I, I, think, I think certainly one of the biggest benefits of being on campus is the accountability with which you can hold your kids. Um, I know, I know you did it. Uh, I know coach Jarmy with the wrestling program often said grade reports around with the kids. You're able to monitor and track the kids. Um, I I think certainly our staff has enjoyed having on campus coaches because if a kid who's on my football or track program, um, is monkeying around in chemistry, I get an email right from the chemistry teacher and that kid quits misbehaving in the chemistry class. And Right. So our staff members like knowing that they can come to us right. in, in part because we also value the role that athletics plays within the whole overall scope of the school. The right. reason athletics are at school is not because athletics are the most important thing. They are a part, just as any other extracurricular is, of the, the day-to-day school and the learning process and the growth and the development. And being on campus, I get that. It's not that my football team is the most important thing and, oh, yeah, you better go to class. It's you better go to class and, and so that football is available to you and, and that you can right. use this as an opportunity. So, um, and, you know, part of it, too, is just even if, you're not, even if you're not a coach on campus working with the kids, it's the interaction that kids have seeing me come to their tennis match. Sure. Uh, I don't coach tennis and I know only a little bit about tennis enough to get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> but I go to a tennis match. I go to a water polo game. I, right. Absolutely. I go, I go watch the kids do things. And that holds true for, you know, kids in their theater production and, and kids at the choir concert. And when kids see you 
outside of the classroom, it, it's amazing how much better performance I get from the kids in the class. Right. Um, and so being on campus, being a coach, being actively involved in our campus community, I think is really important, regardless of whether you're a coach or not. I think even just as a regular teacher, we have a math teacher, Mr. Tamales, on campus yes. who attends everything. Everything. Absolutely. Um, I don't know how he has the time, except he doesn't have kids at home anymore, but he is yeah. at everything. And, and the kids really appreciate and respect him. Right. Um, because he shows an interest in them. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, as a coach, my kids know that they got to behave, but they right. appreciate that I'm spending all this time, extra time outside of right. the normal school hours to help them achieve what it is they want to achieve. So, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing that I always got from is that I remember the first year I was the, the, the varsity basketball coach there and I had a, student who was not doing what he was supposed to in uh, Mrs. Martin's uh, chemistry class. And uh, she just picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, so-and-so is being a chucklehead. And I remember calling the, uh, oh, what was his name? One of, this, one of the campus supervisor guys. Yeah. And I said, hey, I need you to, I need to go over to chemistry real quick. Like, and I just remember pulling out of class and say, why am I getting a phone call in the middle of class that you're being a chucklehead? And uh, issues solved. And I think uh, from, you know, obviously on the outside looking in, people don't understand those small pieces of the overall, you know, the fabric of the overall blanket, which is a, a, a high school campus, that having teachers having the know who belongs to who, um, you know, is, is just an extra layer um, to get students to do the things that they're supposed to be doing um look high school students it's it's a weird time of their life there's a lot of different things going on um some kids have some things going on at home but you know school becomes their sanctuary and coaches become those maternal or paternal figures that they might be lacking so you know i i mean i know we've had uh, a number of discussions in the past and with other coaches on campus where, uh, you know, the, 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 the walk on can actually be a, you know, a, a detriment to, to what's going on because they're not deeply vested into campus community. They're just invested into their sport. And, um, you know, I've, I've only seen it a very, very rarely, uh, in the last, you know, 10 years, that I've been in education and been back in coaching where a walk-on coach at a varsity level sport anyway has had major success um, because you don't have that on-campus, um, you know, on-campus presence. And I think, you know, recently a couple of schools in the area have had that walk-on component. And as a result, those programs hasn't been as successful as, they, they could have been. Now, again, there's a lot of things that factor into that. So I'm not saying that that's right. the end all equation, but I, I think a number of people would agree that when your coaches are on campus in any capacity, um, you have a much more set of accountability and you have more eyes, you know, watching, watching the bodies uh, that, uh, 
you know, can hopefully, you know, get the, the, the things that they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. So. Oh, and there's, there's enough things that come up during the week and during the day too, that it's, it's pretty essential in many cases to have that coach on campus that the number of times you might have an athletic department meeting, or I can remember what we had a couple years ago where we had uh, hand, foot and mouth on the football team. right? Right. And so one of the big advantages was a, our athletic trainer is on campus, Right. right? And she had some of the kids in class, which is how we identified that that's what the problem was and got those kids away from everybody else. But two, right. the head coaches on campus. And so now we could work to do all the organizing that needed to right. be done to get the team, to get everybody checked, to get, you know, the, the call the opponent that we were supposed to play the next day and cancel. I mean, like just a lot right. of the administrative stuff that if you're a walk-on coach, you usually you've got some other job. Mm-hmm. and it's hard for you to get away from that job to come do whatever it is that needs to be done. Um, I I think there's certainly been a push towards the walk on because we've seen an increase in the, the, the desire to have club connected coaches in a variety of sports. Um, Schools want to be successful in sports. And oftentimes that means finding the person that has got the connection to the kids that might then come to your school and make your team good. And so right. you find guys, girls that are connected at the clubs and those, those folks, you're, like you said, they're not necessarily there because of, they have the pulse of the campus community. Their concern is their sport. Right. Um, their, their concern is winning in their sport and they don't always get the need to share facilities, you know, to, right. to work not only with the academic side and, and that, but also just with the fellow coaches. Their concern is winning in their thing. And right. oftentimes we start to see the hoarding of students and, and just a lot of things that don't play well with trying to build a culture. I think sports on a campus, one of the important aspects of it is, is the culture that it de- develops at a school. Um, right and the feeling that just and how that contributes to kids experiences um coach bresnahan my old football coach and and longtime teacher at laguna hills um talked about at one of his former spots at lakewood high school the principal told him you know when we win on friday the school the campus is cleaner on monday and it it wasn't because the kids after winning a football game came and cleaned up the campus right that sense of pride that came with sure culture that was established on campus and that sense of being part of something meant that people found a way to put the trash in the trash can rather than just drop right. it where it was. And, and that carried over into the classroom um, where kids took a little bit more pride in their school and liked coming to school and liked being right. at school, like being right. a part of it. So I, I, I think all those things kind of tie in together. No, I, those are great points. And I think, you know, one thing, I mean, you and I, have, you know, have seen Laguna Hills have its ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. And sometimes those valleys seem very cavernous. And, you know, one thing our, our school has always done is really overachieved and be able to take, and, and I see this in air quotes, what little talent that we have had. But again, this, you know, you have coaches working really, really hard with their players and they see them every day from seven in the morning till five o'clock at night. And I think one thing that I deeply appreciated being part of 
you know, the teaching staff and the coaching staff at Laguna Hills High School was that sense of community and that sense of family. And it always felt that you could rely on sports to circle the wagons a little bit and have that sense of, hey, we got your back, you know, you've got our back. And I know that hasn't always been the case. Um, going back to the point where you have some coaches that are just all about me, myself, and I, and, uh, you know, they re- they're looking for the name on the back of the jersey, not the name on the front of the jersey. And I think that's uh, – it's unfortunate. I get it. Um, but I think that the one thing very unique about Lincoln Hills High School, uh, because it's the smallest school in South County by 1,000 kids, um, roughly, uh, it, it – the sports community provides a lot of opportunity and then to have coaches on campus consistently throughout the day to kind of help, um, you know, sustain and manage that community is something that I think just some of the bigger schools in our area, it's not that they don't have it, but still, you know, when I think St. Clemente high school, you know, they have a very strong football program. They have a very strong basketball program, but those sports stand out on their own where, when you talk Lincoln Hills in general, you can say they have a good sports program and, and it's more blanket. And I think that's, I think more of a testament of having that sense of community and having, um, you know, uh, custodians, if you will, of those sports because they've been on campus for a long time and um, have that relationship with those kids in and out of the classroom. So, and I, I think there's two things that tie into that as well, too. Obviously, it helps in Laguna Hills that we are the only high school within the city boundaries. Right. Um, and, and while I know that's probably normal in a lot of places throughout the United States, that, that isn't necessarily the case in, in a larger Orange County where, you know, the city of Mission Viejo has four, maybe five. I think Tesoro counts and Las Flores is part of Mission Viejo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so it's a very true. different feel. We, we are the one, one town, one team sort of feel. And, right. and, and I think it also gets displayed when you look on our campus at the number of people on our campus, some of whom are coaches um, and some of whom are not, the number of alums that have come back to Absolutely. teach, to work up in the front office, to coach sure. and whatever. There's, there's something about that culture that was created when we went there that attracted right. and drew us back to this place. Um, many of them are, are coaches and, and you can look at the on-campus coaches and the, that sense that that athletic department instilled in all of us in right. one way, shape or form, bringing yeah. us, bringing us back. So, yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So, all right. So I'm going to hit you up with a quote and this is, you know, one thing that I've, again, I'm, I'm a quote guy. I know you're a quote guy too. So, um, but I, this, so the background on this quote is this was uh, said by a 16 year old uh, female. Uh, she was asked to do a project for an English class and she ended up doing a podcast and, and oddly enough, and then uh, she had reached out to this one guy by the name of George Kuros. He's an academic. He's written a couple books. He's Canadian, so we're not going to hold that against him. But um, he's a pretty sharp guy. Actually, I really enjoy him, and I've really enjoyed his books. But and, uh, she says the following. She says, I hate school, but I love learning. All right? I hate school, but I love learning. So, when you first hear that, 
you know, what, 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 what your first reaction as a teacher hearing that from a student, you know, how would you kind of react to that kind of initially, but then when you kind of digest it a little bit, what do you think she's trying to tell people? Well, I think my first reaction to saying that is my, it was denial. I, and, and I think that that's a personal thing because it stems from, I love my school. I'm back at my school. Um, right. And, and it's hard for me to imagine that everybody isn't sharing the same experiences that I have. <laughs> right. once, once, once you get past that and you realize not everybody does and sees things the way that I do. Um, right. It, it kind of hit me as a little sad. Like right. here we are, we're, we're, you and I are talking about culture and what we try to foster. And I want every right. kid that graduates from that school to feel like they love it. And again, and part of that is because I do, and I want everybody to experience that. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of a sad feeling that, that that school isn't providing whatever that is for a student that makes them like it. Now it could be that, what that student is saying is they don't like the things we think of when we think of school, sitting in a classroom, doing worksheets, you right. know, like the, the stuff that, that you and I probably would both agree is not necessarily really great school. Right. Um, and I, I don't think of school necessarily as just those 50 minutes. I mean, I, I have conversations with my kids in class all the time that um, I think you learn more outside the classroom setting than you do sure. in the classroom setting. And I think college is what really opened my eyes to that right. idea. Um, when I teach about the enlightenment, we talk about these people being able to just sit around and talk and right. share ideas and, and right. how, much, how much education went on from just talking with other people that didn't sure. necessarily mean sitting in a classroom, right? Right. Um, I, I, get, I get those reviews from my kids about my class at the end of every year. And the thing they, that I they keep coming back to all the time is, yeah, they might remember specific lessons, but what those kids really remember are the projects. And sure, so a, absolutely. Kid that, a kid that hates school, uh, I would say, gosh, that, that sucks that they haven't found that teacher that they have connected with, right. um, that class that inspired them, that right. project that they did, that unit that they did, or that lesson, or that podcast right. that they created, or whatever. Right that made them feel like, all right, there's certain aspects of this thing I don't like, but right. I do like these other things. And unfortunately, right. these other things apparently weren't good enough, weren't of enough of a volume to overwhelm the, sure, I don't like whatever right. this is. So I, I, you know, I thought, okay, are they, are they being bullied? Is it because they're different? Sure. Is it because... Gotcha. The classroom, the school environment isn't a friendly one or right. um, they're walking uphill both ways through the snow with shoe boxes for, you know, Kleenex right. boxes for shoes. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, <laughs> right. what is it that's causing that kid to, to not like school when they, when they have a love of learning and school right. should be a place that helps foster that. So what right. is it? Course offerings. Maybe, maybe there weren't classes that, that she wanted sure. to take I, you know, yeah. what, what is it? Yeah, no, those, and th those are, those are great, you know, great initial reactions. And, and I think what, what it would all boil down to is, is that you're right. All the minutia that school brings, all the, the tedious work, um, 
the the logistics that that make teaching hard you know you got to grade papers you got to enter in grades you got to fill out paperwork you got to you know uh all the 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 stuff that's just kind of drain you know physically emotionally drains you are the things that have to be done that's what makes that's what you know cause and effect right you know that causes you know learning and learning is the, the effect of those causes and I think when you have a student like this specifically, the the all the little details that you have to do, the worksheets, the study guide, the the lab, you know, but doing the lab's probably really fun, but having to write that lab up, that's kind of a drain. I'm sure your your wife can attest to that. Um, She's laughing right now. Okay. I purposely chose that, Jocelyn. Um, you know. Uh, so, but I think it's with, with, with this, I hate school part, you know, it, I, I bet we could legitimately walk down the hallway and identify those kids out of the gate who we know hate school through and through. It doesn't matter what they're doing. I mean, they're just, they're just not, they just don't like school. But at the same time, I bet we have a handful of those kids that could sit in the corner of your classroom and you know, soak up the things that we want them to soak up and regurgitate them in a way that demonstrates the learning that would probably be more mind blowing than someone being able to write just a simple test or be able to, you know, you know, fill in dots on a, on a, on a Scantron sheet or something like that. So, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of business aspects to school and I think there's no denying that. And I think those are the things that, I think weigh teachers down, certainly weigh administration down. Um, and then, you know, the, the kids, you know, choose not to do something because it's like, ah, it's, it, it, it's work. You know, what, what do they say? We can, we work the rest of our lives or something like that. You know, why yeah. should I have to work in high school or something? So, you know, I just think it's, it's those, those are the kind of things that uh, I hope she's saying. Um, but I, I agree. I think you, you definitely ran the gambit of, of really, you know, introspection in, in the things that could cause a hatred. I didn't even think of course selection. There's something that um, certainly uh, high schools may not necessarily have a robust, you know, car, you know, catalog of items to choose from because you got to hit your you know, your core classes and you, if you're lucky, you get to take a, an elective like an art or maybe chorus or, or what have you, where, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, I think, you know, college was the first time that I was able to choose my classes. And for some odd reason, I have a minor in art history, go figure, you know, cause I was, you know, gods of rock guitar one and two. I mean, these are the things that I think high school needs. So, but yeah, it's, it's interesting too to, to look at that. I, I mean, I think some of that is that's that is life to some degree. I, I I think every job that anybody has ever had has elements of it that you hate it. Like I love teaching. I, I love what I do, but after doing distance learning, like I said, if I had to keep doing that forever, I, I don't think I would like this job so much. And I would definitely right. say I love teaching. I hate not seeing the kids. Right. Right. And so. Absolutely. Some of, some of that is, look, you, you, that's going to be true at every job. There, there are no jobs out there where you just get to do all the fun stuff, but right. I don't actually have to 
you know, fill out my goals and objectives at the beginning of the year, you know, or, right. or sit through a staff development meeting about something that, you know, I just isn't, isn't applicable to me or whatever it might be. Right. So some of that you look at and say, that's, that's necessary. I, I think the other interesting aspect too would be the flip side of that quote. Right. Is to flip that around. Um, I find in my course evaluations that I have a, a lot of kids that fall into the, I don't really like history. I love your class. Right. I, I, don't, sure. I don't really like the learning, but I really loved you or I loved the class or I loved the school. I loved, you know, a sure. lot of the Absolutely. distance learning said, I love seeing my friends. I love you know, hearing the bad jokes in class, whatever. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is interesting, you know, just I guess it speaks to the different experiences that every kid has over right. those four years of of being at school or, or over those 10 months of being in our class, sure. um, every kid is going to have those different experiences. And, and like, you know, we're here trying to speculate about what the student means. And I think we do that a lot with our kids in class too. Absolutely. Like, always wondered what's going on. And I, I had a girl right. that I didn't even remember the event, but apparently on the course evaluation, she said, you know, what I really appreciated about my, the class this year was the fact that I was having a day that was really bad. And it was, it was, something was awful. Something was going on with her mom. She said, um, right. and I had, I had some chocolate that I normally keep for me because I can't get through four <laughs> classes back to back without a little bit of chocolate. Right. And, and so <laughs> I probably violated all sorts of federal laws here, but I offered her some of the chocolate. All right. right. So, hey, you know, take a, take a Twix one, you know, and hopefully that helps you have a little better day. Absolutely. And that stuck out. Sure. Not all the great presentations on World War II, not right. on my Holocaust stuff, nothing on beheading by Henry VIII. It was a Twix bar. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and that's, it's so funny that you say that is I, I had a kid who um, my last year at Laguna Beach, you know, my, my, my short tenure there was uh, one class period we were talking about the golden age of hip hop. And I had made mention that the first CD I ever bought with my own money was Public Enemies. It takes some millions to hold us. It takes nation millions to hold us back, right? Back. Mm -hmm. And this was a kid who spent most of the time asleep in my sixth period class. I mean, he would just come in. I'm like, dude, come on. You're sleeping. And, oh. So the last day of school, he tracks me down and he hands me this bag. And I open it up and it's the album. It's the 33 and a third. And he goes, what he got from my class, he's like, look, I, he's like, you're great. He's like, you were just, I enjoyed your stories. I enjoyed your antics, but you kind of let me be me. You allowed me to be who I was and I'm not a good student. I recognize that. Um, I, I, I don't put my best foot forward. My dad tells me that all the time. He goes, but you accepted me for who I am. And I, I am always appreciative of that. And that was his way of saying, thank you. You know, and I think good teachers have those moments that they don't realize that they're going on, but the kids recognize that. And then, you know, that love for the class, learning that project, the teacher, the brown and gold, you know, the crimson and red or whatever, whatever USC's colors are. Um, Cardinal gold, thank you. Thank Cardinal gold, I, 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 yeah, I keep forgetting Cardinal's a, a color. 
I'm a blue and gold guy. Go Tritons. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I think good teachers have the knack of creating those moments. And um, new teachers don't understand that. And it takes time, you know, which kind of brings me to my last thing. And I'll, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, and I, again, I, I can't thank you enough for being here. Um, if you were going to give one piece of advice to either someone wanting to go into teaching or a new teacher, you can choose either or or both. What would you tell them? Um, not, you know, something actually that a retiring teacher said this year, Barbie Martin, longtime English teacher at Laguna Hills, retiring this year. And in, in her note of farewell to everybody, she commented about cleaning out her room. And she basically told herself she was going to leave the room with one box, yeah. like her entire room. And you've seen how some of yeah. us as teachers who don't ever change rooms, I don't know, you can do so, but she boiled it down to one box. And I thought it was really interesting. What she noted in her classroom was 25 years of shifts in education. And here was the silent sustained reading stuff. And here was the no child left behind stuff. And here was like all the different trends that, that came and went. And the thing that she took with her was a couple class projects, um, a couple things that students had written, um, no awards, no nothing like that. But, but she was who she was. And what she saw was, is that while education had swung like a pendulum, mm -hmm. um, that, that if you chase that pendulum, I, I think you make yourself a bit miserable. Mm -hmm. And I think you find yourself running yourself ragged to the extremes. Um, you know, and it's the old Aristotelian golden mean idea. You know, if you, if you stick more to the middle, you're going to find a much, much happier life. And if right. you find yourself chasing after whatever the latest and greatest thing is that right. somebody is telling you to do, um, five <clears throat> years from now, you're going to be miserable when you were doing that thing. And now right. that's no longer the thing that's going to cure all of society's problems and teach education. And I right. think it's one of the things that burns burns people out, right? Young, young teachers on average don't last more than three years. At least that's what the emphasis right. of that, that BITSA program was supposed to be. Um, yes. And so you got to find ways, you got to find ways to make it through those three years and enjoy what you're doing. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's chasing the latest and greatest. It's about figuring out right. who you are as a teacher and knowing that I couldn't be Lynn Taylor. Right. I, you know, I, I, when I'm, when I student taught, I could not be Lynn Taylor. I didn't have the stories and the anecdotes and I, I, I just, as I, I can't be another coach, I have to coach within who I am. And, and so right. being able to know who you are, don't go chasing waterfalls. Uh, don't go chasing everything else. <laughs> but just, but just be who, be who you are, and and be nice. self-reflective. But absolutely. But you know, find what works and adjust to fit you. Nice, nice TLC reference, by the way. Yeah. Give a shout out. Give a shout out to One Eye. RIP One Eye. So, well, no, that's that's great advice. I think that's. You know, again, having the ability to have Coach Lester, uh, Coach Weinberger, El Presidente, and then yourself be my mentor teachers 
and and then again, just let me just go do you. I mean, I think Weinberger was in the room one time during my student teaching is because he forgot his coffee cup. And, uh, and, uh, you know, at no time did I felt like micromanaged, but I think it also has to do with who you are as a person. I was much older. I was coming out of the corporate world, um, when I went into teaching. So, you know, I wasn't 22, 23, 24 years old. I was 33, 34, 35 years old and actually older than that. Um, but you know, I, I think it's funny. I, I run into new young teachers now, especially in my environment. And they just, they just, they don't have that worldly experience. And I was like, well, what, what did you want to do before you went into teaching? And they're like, oh, well, I always wanted to be a teacher. I was like, well, that's great. But did you ever think that maybe doing something else first would have made you a better teacher? And, you know, you kind of get this during the headlights type look. Um, you know, eventually these over 60s are going to retire and, you know, you're going to need some new blood. But I think that uh, you're absolutely right. You got to be who you are and the kids have to see you who you are because, you know, they see right through it. I mean, they're not, they're not going to respect the person who's not respectable. So that is absolutely. Sure. So, well, look, man, I can't thank you enough. And uh yeah we've had a nice long chat which is great yeah. and uh, i'm not going to edit one thing uh because this is gold baby it is gold so i appreciate it um but uh, in any case uh we'll definitely i'm sure i'll bug you over the course of summer and uh, i will politely ask your wife if she'd like to sit in the hot seat and uh, <laughs> i'm sure she'd have a lot of tremendous more uh profound things to say versus us history teachers but oh, uh, she's, she's a lot smarter than i am so you'll get a much better I, discussion from her you and i definitely married smart so um in any case well look man i really appreciate you being here so um thanks for uh thanks to kirk for being here and thank you for listening to the everyday teacher podcast uh we'll be dropping this probably in the next day or two and then uh, next week, uh, looking to have another guest on, and it actually might be an administrator. Check that out. We're taking all ends of the academic spectrum. So um, we appreciate you listening. You can leave comments below, and uh, we'll see you very, very soon. Thank you. Thank you.